song at the tavern the other day. Something about uh, gin and wild women. Oh, how'd it go? Oh, I don't remember. Got five nickels in the box to hear it again, and the thing busted down. Well, you know me. I couldn't carry a tune in the bushel basket. I like the ballads. The old ones that warm you even when the fog is a foot thick. Listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. I think she's determined to be on the podcast today. Uh, she is. <laughs> all right. Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed Out in Sight, intermission at number 36. And I'm your host, Lee. I'm leaving a world of untold tomorrows for a world of countless yesterdays, Russell. Mm. And uh, I'm joined by uh, someone's a bit of a stranger to the podcast as of late. Uh, Lee. If you can load it, I can fire it hardy. How you doing, ma'am? Oh, you are quite right. I can definitely do that. <laughs> um, I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I am happy to be back. I feel like it's been forever. It feels like it, yeah. Our, it's been a long time. Yeah, our schedules have been kind of up and down the last Somebody month works so. Saturdays now. Yeah, like, I know. Well, somebody... Somebody's working Fridays. I don't know what the fuck that's about either. You, you who's had the podcast on Saturdays since I've known you, since forever, all of a sudden I get Saturday evenings off and you're like, hey, by the way, it's Friday now. See how she, so, worked, it. she, she worked it into, oh, I'm doing him a favor. And now. So fuck you. It's your fault. <laughs> I, I guess it's my fault, apparently. Yeah. It is your fault. It's I been Saturday for the longest time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I know. I know. I think we're. I think we. I think we have to just make it Sundays now. So, Sundays would work because Sundays I don't work. Well, mm-hmm. I might start working again, but right now I don't work. Yeah, just just gonna have to just gonna have to make it now that 
the podcast comes out on Tuesdays or something instead of Mondays. But we shall see. But uh, yeah, we're back. We're doing an intermission. We're just going to do a uh, little episode on a classic monster movie. Um, some say the first of the atomic monster movies from Ooh. the 1950s. The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms from 1953. So we're going to come back to that in a second after we do a little commercial break for a podcast that uh, I like and uh, a little bit of music. So, I don't know about you, Lee, but I think... We got this, man. We got this by the ass. You ungodly warlock. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. Rude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history all yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally love this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it. But it was how did rough. you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. You ungodly warlock. As you're listening to that, because I'm not doing as much editing on these intermission episodes, you heard Lee's cat in the background just basically trying to take over the show. She's succeeding. She, she knocked over my lipstick off the desk and I caught it. So I feel like I just denied her that feeling of excitement when cats knock something over and you just get frustrated. I mm-hmm. literally just caught it from her and it was just this moment of like, what the fuck? That little, that little. <laughs> bored antagonistic destroy the fucking world thing the cats do it's like oh i can cause a little chaos here 
Fuck it. Meanwhile, Sasha's just chilling. Oh, can't see her. She's she's right there, just chilling oh, yeah. beside me. Well, she's yeah, relaxing. Dog. Yeah. 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 All right. So we have a trailer for the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. So we're gonna get to that right now. I say there are things better left unsolved. Who knows what waits for us in nature's no man's land? Impossible, unbelievable, fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. Yes, it could happen. For various authorities believe that buried somewhere under the polar ice cap, in a state of suspended animation, are the awesome creatures, the leviathans that roamed the earth at the dawn of time. And under certain conditions, a nuclear explosion can free one from his icy tomb. Then, guided by instinct, the beast would come back, back to the caverns of the deepest Atlantic where it was spawned. An armored giant wreaking his prehistoric fury on modern man and his puny machines. Cities would be terrorized by the cruel intruder from the past. Populations crazed and panicked with fear by its destructive force. Granite and steel would crumble. Soldiers and their weapons would be powerless before the onslaught of the beast. The beast, the beast, the beast from 20,000 fathoms. Herald Square, 34th Street, Broadway. Every section of the city is guarded. No one knows where the monster will strike next. Another one, Colonel? No. You know what the radioactive isotope is? No, but if it can be loaded, I can fire it. I'll load it. Just remember one thing. This is the only isotope of its kind, this side of Oak Ridge, so you can't miss. This is directed by Eugene Laurier. Laurier, I guess it's pronounced. Um, French-born Russian uh, director did all kinds of other stuff. Basically, one of these uh, journeyman guys who did a little bit of everything in the industry. Um, he hit it big with this film and then went on to make exclusively, basically, in his directing uh, career, films like this. So he, after this, he did The Colossus of New York, The Giant Behemoth, Gorgo, and some of his footage that he shot, I think, for this film or something else was reused for Godzilla. Uh, but the 77 version of Godzilla, which was um, when the Italians bought a print of Godzilla and colorized it and then added all kinds of footage to it. Uh, yeah, it's something or other. Um, a lot of writers on this. Uh, we got uh, Lou Morheim. Morheim who was a producer for TV and film um, more than he, and mostly a writer, but uh, he's got a lot of big producing credits. Uh, 
as far as films go, one of the significant ones is The Magnificent Seven. Uh, Fred Freeberger, who is a writer and producer for TV. He produced The Six Million Dollar Man, Space 1999, and uh, the last season of Star Trek, the original series uh, he was responsible for. Uh, we got Robert Smith, Daniel James, who also wrote on Gorgo and the Giant Behemoth. Uh, the director himself, uh, Laurier, uh, again here, had some writing credit on this. And this is based on a story by Ray Bradbury, sort of. Uh, we'll get into that when we get into trivia. But um, go through the, the cast here. Just a few people I'm going to point out. So we have uh, Paul Hubsch- Hubschmid as Professor Tom Nesbitt. Um, he was in a lot of stuff, but as the case with a lot of People in this cast are people who had a lot of films or TV that I've never heard of. Uh, one film I did notice that he was in that I knew is uh, Funeral in Berlin from 1966, which is a uh, Michael Caine uh, spy film. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, the, one of his Harry Palmer uh, series of spy films. Uh, we got uh, Paula Raymond as Lee Hunter. She had a pretty long movie career from the 30s to the 60s and then did a lot of 60s TV and some 60s B-movies to sort of like round out her career. Um, And she had like one credit in the 90s, too, uh, before she died. Um, We have uh, Cecil Kellaway as Professor Thurgood Elson. Uh, Kenneth Toby as Colonel Jack Evans. Uh, Distinction here, he was in The Thing from Another World, which, of course, is uh, John Carpenter remade as The Thing in 82. Um, a bunch of other films he's he's been in. He was in a shit ton of stuff. Uh, mostly I recognize stuff from, you know, the last 30, 40 years, whatever. Um, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, Walking Tall, Gremlins, uh, Inner Space, Big Top Peewee, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, playing a different character, Single White Female, and The Howling all sort of popped up on my radar here. And keep going here we have uh i, I want to mention lee van cleef has a small role here as uh, corporal stone he's the sniper who ends up doing in the monster at the end um and like this was like around a time when his career was starting to slow down a bit where he wasn't getting big roles and then it was it took a phone call and a trip to italy to start making italian westerns that actually made him a, a big star <laughs> um i also want to mention uh just a funny more more of a trivia piece than anything else because his role is very small but uh, James Best is Charlie the Radar Man in uh, the opening scenes uh, he's uncredited uh, on this film but um, people might know him as Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard, so the, the sheriff from the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> you should see what her cat's doing right here she's just she is mugging for the camera any chance she gets but um yeah. Uh, and also, James Best did some like uh, other mo- lot lot of stuff actually. But uh, probably as far as like uh, B movies from like this period or go, uh, he was also known for The Killer Shrews, which is a terrible movie. But uh, m- maybe one will do some at some point. He also did the uh, his his final film role was the re- uh, the uh, sort of sequel. To the killer sh- shrews in 2012 before he died. <laughs> <laughs> we have our own monster stomping around here. I tried. Keep stuffing my keyboard too. 
Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. If I get disconnected, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, I try to, to stay serious, but it's not happening. Yeah, no worries. It's <laughs> what these intermission episodes are like. Um, a nuclear <laughs> test. Cats. Cats. Just it's going to be all cats for now on. Cats. Um. So we have a synopsis from Jace Berlin in IMDb. A nuclear test in the Arctic brings back to life a giant dinosaur, which makes its way to the east coast of North America, destroying shipping vessels and a lighthouse. But all reports of a sea serpent are wildly ridiculed and dismissed. Meanwhile, the nuclear physicist Tom Nesbitt, who saw the beast, tries to convince a paleontologist of its existence. In the midst of Nesbitt's romance with the latter's assistant, the beast makes its existence undeniable when it attacks New York. A confrontation between the military and the monster climaxes at Coney Island. And yeah, that's kind of the story. Yes, we'll get into it here. Uh, What were your sort of general thoughts on it there, Lee? Um, One thing I noticed was how clear the movie was. Mm-hmm. So even now, I know it's like remastered and all that stuff, but it's pretty cool how a movie from back then uh, looks really good today. And it's not as if we had like a high quality stream. It was just a kind of a generic one. Yeah, and- it was, uh, there's two parts of Daily Motion that we uh, we watched. Yeah, and it was. Uh, it looked good. It visually looked good. Uh, mm-hmm. I do really enjoy watching older movies because you get to see the difference between like technology. So the whole filming outside um, mm-hmm. or outside and then with like the camera angles or that lack of, I should say, but still make it kind of uh, still make it a good movie. Like it's still uh, visually pleasing to watch. So mm-hmm. just those enjoyments. Um, I don't think I was a fan of it, though. Like no. I thought the idea was pretty cool. I enjoyed the concept. <laughs> I enjoyed the concept. Um, I enjoyed <laughs> She's just all over me today. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I did enjoy the concept. I did think it was a lot of it um, was really cool. I enjoyed visually seeing how a movie made a monster and how it like destroyed the ship and stuff. Like at one point when it was in the water, mm-hmm. you saw the waves, but there was no waves. They just had like, yeah, that was amazing. I was laughing, but I thought it was really cool as well. Uh, another thing, it was just the whole uh the the monster the beast under the water mm-hmm. like that was that really threw me off that was one of those i'm really confused by this um but the things i did enjoy like i enjoyed that they played with the whole um mental health thing because mm-hmm. uh this is something that i know back then if you saw something and or anything and you said anything like you were crazy you were like sent to the loony bin there's no trying to diagnose you. There's no trying to figure it out. They're just like, no, it's delusion. Like, you notice right at the beginning when they're like, yes, crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not even trying to figure out like what he did see, like the possibility that it could be something real. It was like, nope, you just saw it because whatever. And um, I think that plays on a lot of fears on people, even today. Like it plays a fear of you seeing something that's so impossible and nobody believing you. So, Mm -hmm. so they just think you're fucking crazy. So that's something I know that people still have today and even play more with it back then. Cause then at least now today you can actually sit down, get diagnosed, talk to somebody and kind of like go through the whole process Yeah. versus then it was like, nah, (laughs) you're fucked. You're crazy. Um, And I also do enjoy how, again, uh, they play with the whole, 
nuclear waste, like that <laughs> kind of stuff. Where they like don't understand what radiation or anything actually really yeah. is. <laughs> Which was kind of a fear back then, right? Because mm -hmm. it's something that you didn't know. And one thing that I've been, well, the big thing I learned in my movie class is the, the whole fears that we play on are actual things that we can understand the fear base of it, even though it's like totally extreme and fake, you still get mm -hmm. to play with your fears that you would have in real life. Yeah. Cause yeah, like I said, the whole craziness and the fact that there was nuclear power on that, or not nuclear, nuclear um, bombs and all that shit and craziness and everything. But anyways, I feel like I'm babbling. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah. a while. I'm sorry. That's sorry. Right. Anyway, so yeah, there was a lot of positive in this movie and there was a lot of negative in this movie. Um, I do enjoy the storyline. I did think it was pretty creative. Uh, I did, like I said, I did enjoy how they played on different fears. So that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, my problem with it was like the first half I thought was really good. And then there was this like long drawn out while they're searching for it that yeah. kind of got really boring to watch. Like it just, I lost interest. And then you got to the end where um, it was just this, mass destruction where all the action came in but it just felt like it was so long-winded to get there like yeah. i feel like you could have taken a good chunk out and um mind you then i feel like it would have been action heavy but yeah there mm. needs to be that balance but there was just too much where it was going into like nothing happening it was just this long drawn out conversation in different scenes like even yeah. when they were underwater like, if you think about it, it's still two people just standing there talking. Like, mm -hmm. as much as I thought it was so cool how they did that, um, I just kind of got bored of the conversations. I got bored of, like, the movie, the action, like, all of it. Like, it was just right a little bit long drawn out. Yeah, no, I, I get you there, especially in this period where, you know, a lot of these movies, they go maybe an hour, 10 minutes. Yeah. And this is, this is an hour, 20 and there is like a good 10 minutes they could have cut into this like that yeah. that whole diving bell sequence i mean as cool as it is to see the monster walking underwater even though it really doesn't make any sense at all uh like it, it stretches the credibility even more than the movies already stretch credibility at this point but to see it walking underwater and going for the diving bell and stuff like that didn't need it and especially since it's kind of dumb because like okay we put the diving bell down there and the professor's looking at the fucking dinosaur coming towards him, and he's not saying, pull us the fuck up. He's like, oh, it's doing something. Yeah, it's coming to eat your ass. Like, <laughs> just get the fuck out of there. So it was like a total waste of time. Um, I don't this, like... How it turned into a sea creature somehow. Like, it's very obviously not a sea creature, but... Yeah. And um, I, didn't, I didn't really give a shit about the romance angle either it's like it just feels like mm -hmm. pre-functionary that they have to have a romance angle between the lead female and the lead dude well you can't have a female scientist without a love mm -mm. interest no i mean like I mean, why would you have a female in there it's 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 absolutely ludicrous i mean you know it was weird a girl like you having one of those science jobs like and which females called lee come on now that is just something <laughs> me. at least her name is spelled properly <laughs> <laughs> that's actually it's funny because her name's written the guy way mm -hmm. which makes it even better yeah it's, but it's who, calls him, who calls a girl me like i don't know it's crazy this some <laughs> she's, she's probably just like really terrible italian girl i don't know um because he's an italian name i don't know i'm just <laughs> thinly 
throwing shade on you. That's so. Um, but uh, you're right. I like the black and white photography here is really good. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those cases where it really does a good job of hiding the seams of the special effects because it blends in so well. Like they got the, um, in the opening in the Arctic, like they have the rear projection of like an Arctic landscape or whatever. And I think that visually it, it fits with the foreground stuff pretty well. Like it, it kind of matches really good. Um, and it tends to match really well too when the monster's on screen. Uh, and then they have stock footage as well in the film. And most of the stock footage is cleaned up, at least on the version we saw, and looked really good. So it kind of fit as well. So it's not like one of these films where you see stock footage and it's noticeably so damaged that it like kind of takes you to the film because it's like, oh, that's not part of the film. But here it, it kind of worked. Um, I think the biggest thing here is, is, is I mean, I, I'm pretty sure everyone has said this. It's the special effects. And these are Ray Harryhausen special effects. Uh, this is the first time he got to do it supervising, basically doing it on his own kind of thing. Like he, he was the lead guy. So he had a team under him helping him, but he was, he was the primary guy this time. And the attention to detail on the monster itself, like the stuff mm-hmm. it does, he makes it a character instead of just a typical monster. Because the it'll do things like it'll look different ways, it'll twitch, it'll it'll do weird shit that makes it an individual and like stand out as a kind of a character. So like just the attention to details astounding. And I guess he went through like a couple models first that took like tons of time to construct before he found something that he liked. So like he threw a couple versions out and then he had just, you know, painstakingly go through all these these uh shots and he had to do the miniatures and he had to you know just spend hours upon hours doing all these special effects and they pay off even the stuff yeah. where yeah even the stuff where they're superimposed with people they tend to pay off really well they they look good the only time i really saw an effect that didn't quite work is when they have when they go underwater and they have they have they're looking through the diving bell and they see a shark fighting an octopus which, why I don't know. <laughs> it's I was just, gonna say that felt like really thrown dumb. in there. And you, if you notice, you can tell that it was it was filmed in a in a in a tank because at one point the octopus's suckers hit the glass of the tank <laughs> and spread out. So it was like okay, but like there's there's a shot of so basically the uh, the the rotosaurus uh, comes in from the from the one side of the screen and, and it's supposed to it's supposed to swallow the yes. shark and the octopus and it just looked bad it looked really bad it looked really fake that was yeah, yeah i agree that was really bad um so i would uh, yeah, actually I cut, understand that water and yeah I, I would actually cut that sequence out or what i would have done is i would have made it like a couple minutes and i wouldn't have had their perspective underwater i would have just had like the people up in the ship hearing the, the doctor like relay what he's seeing mm-hmm. and then he gets cut off and then it immediately goes to the newspaper scientists lost in tragedy or whatever the fuck they did and mm-hmm. i think that would have been a bit more i love the newspaper lines did you i don't know if you read all the headings but there was one that was talking about like a housing market just <laughs> like silly stuff like that i'm like that's awesome mm-hmm. uh i thought what i really did enjoy was how they played um, any disasters that happened. So when they had the person, they had them um, 
kind of improving the situation because obviously it's not happening to them, but they had them improving the situation and they had different things in the background going mm-hmm. while where they cut to the scene while the, mo- uh, the beast is like destroying, whether it was the lighthouse or the avalanche was happening or in the ship. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool because obviously they can't just destroy it and have all these crazy yeah. effects. Cause like, it's not that easy for them back then. So what they did in order to make you kind of uh, put you in that situation, like make it feel kind of real. Uh, they did really well. Like the, with the outside and the inside, how they both worked. Yeah. I liked mm-hmm. it. And um, I mean, there's there's funny stuff here too. Like uh, one of the one of the iconic scenes that everyone talks about is the um, as soon as the monster gets to New York City, there's this like polo- lone police officer decides, yeah, I can kill it with my service pistol. Yeah, I'm gonna take it on, and then he gets eaten. And it's a it's a really good effect too. The way the 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 Rhinosaurus eats the the little scale model of the, of the police officer. Kind of like uh, it, it does it like a like a lizard or a bird or something would eat. We need food where it, it grabs them you're right in the midsection and just kind of like uh, throws them in the air and it like catches them and, and swallows them down kind of thing. Um, really, really cool. Uh, I do really like that they the, for a while they threw science out the window. Like they they play some lip service to science fact before basically just like oh yeah here's a dinosaur from 100 million years ago and it's still alive and all this shit radiation blah 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 but w- once they get the monster on land again they try to put some plausibility back in where the mon- the monster is actually carrying a disease like a prehistoric yeah. disease that's affecting yeah, everybody and i was like okay that's cool like somebody was thinking a little bit of, the radioactive about- blood yeah mm-hmm. Which, okay, I thought this was pretty funny, too, because they were in the whole area where there was radioactivity, so they had their Geiger Mm -hmm. counter, and they walked out there with fucking winter coats on and toques, like, no protection whatsoever, Mm -hmm. and at one point, they're like, oh, it's, I forget what the number they said, but it was still pretty high, like, oh, we should get out of here, like, (laughs) and they're just there, like, casually, I'm like, ah, yeah, one, ah." one, I think I think I think yeah I think one guy there was an it was the an excuse to have the two people split up so they could c- c- sort of create tension in that opening scene so like one guy had nineteen something on his on his radioactive thing and the other guy only had like four or fourteen or something like that so he was like I can stay up here a little bit longer you best get back to the thing and and so they did it like that but it's like yeah at the end where they have our hero and uh, Lee Van Cleef where they have to where Lee Van Cleef is the uh, sniper who has to shoot this isotope into the open wound of the, of the monster to kill it. Um, they're wearing, they're wearing radiation suits. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I, I guess, I guess it matters now. Uh, <laughs> Not when we're exploring the area where we just set off a bunch of like nuclear material stuff, things, dust, and- <laughs> and, it, and it makes me think, like, doing nuclear tests, I, I don't know if it's ever been done in the Arctic or not, but it seems like that's the worst kind of place to do it, especially if the ice caps and everything. Like, I I don't know if I'd want, like, to, like, I kind of feel like a nuclear bomb would melt an entire ice cap, maybe, and <laughs> flood the I world. Think, I think it's funny how they were talking about um, the radioactivity that was coming from the beast. Again, so 
they were mentioning how they couldn't kill it certain ways. They couldn't do certain things certain ways. But the freaking intro, they're just like, let's just walk into this radioactive mm-hmm. area. <laughs> like, you're concerned about it now, but you walk into it. Like, I think you've caused yourself enough damage that your children are going to end up being messed up. Like, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like, now your DNA is switched. This is when I can believe someone <laughs> says their DNA is switched. <laughs> Not because of vaccination, but because of a lot of radiation. Yeah. Also, I also had a real problem, like, so the opening, they have this like real documentary. It's, it's almost like a government-funded documentary kind of thing that you'd see mm-hmm. in like a like a propaganda film or something like that. And then I, I really like the way they do it. But I had a real problem with what they called this operation. They called it Operation Experiment. <laughs> like not Operation Cold Front or not Operation Ice or Blizzard or Storm Warning or... I don't know. <laughs> Meltdown. Operation North Pole. North Pole. Santa Claus. I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> so anything but, but Operation Experiment. Operation Experiment sounds like it's the nineteen thirties, Lee. What do you expect? It's the nineteen fifties. Sorry, nineteen fifties, Lee. What do you expect? Yeah, <laughs> I expect something better than Operation Experiment. That sounds like that sounds like that sounds like the translation of like a an Italian spy movie or something like that. Like where it's this a really bad English translation of the title. We'll call it Operation Experiment. That's what the Americans like to hear. Yes, we'll sell it in America. No, we won't. <laughs> But uh, experience. I need. Oh my god, that's too funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I liked it a bit more than you. I I think it holds up as far as the effects go. And, and I didn't stuff. hate it. Yeah. I did not hate it. I do think people should watch it because I do think if you're like a movie buff and you're into older stuff, I think this one's really awesome to watch just on um, the animation alone like i think mm-hmm. that was really well done considering uh the time and all that stuff um that i thought was f- other than the the random octopus and shark moments, yeah. that underwater scene that made no sense um no i did think it was good i did think the story was good i'm also the person who um can't sit still through talking movies mm-hmm. so the more talking there is the less likely i am to enjoy it or make it to the end yeah, but there I, is there's a bit too much of that in this film. Yeah, I do recommend it though. I definitely think people should watch it because I do think it is a very, uh, really cool movie just to watch, just to see the the animation that was used back then and how the filmmaking was back then. Even the techniques they use, like I was explaining, mm-hmm. even the techniques with the the disasters that happened and the actors having to act it out without actually having the disaster happen around them. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, how they changed from like the beast destroying the building or the boat or whatever the case may be to the actor, like freaking out. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. And in a way it's, it's really not too different from what they do these days with like the green screen stuff where it's like, Oh, we're going to shoot this entire, this entire uh, fucking Hobbit movie on green screen. And you just have to pretend there's orcs shooting arrows at you or whatever the fuck. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why it's cool to watch that. Like this is kind Mm -hmm. of, I won't say the beginning, but this is kind of like the start of it, like the intro of it. Like it's, it's not that new of a a technique back then. Mm -hmm. So considering how long movies have been around. Yeah. And even if, when you think about it, like I've seen movies where the, the graphics and the editing are garbage. Um, 
so compared to this, like this is actually looks amazing compared to some of the stuff that I've seen nowadays. So. Yeah. Yeah. A um, little bit of trivia here. And uh, first I'll, I'll go through our, uh, the budget for this. So this was an independent production that was actually bought up by Warner brothers after the fact. So uh, it was originally made for um, very little money. I, I think it, it came out eventually to like $200,000 or something like that, which is, moderate budget back then at that point but warner brothers bought it back bought it from them for four hundred fifty thousand dollars. so they already made their money uh just selling it to warner brothers and then warner brothers turned a profit on it and uh earned five million in the box office which big money back then so this was kind of you can see why this kind of um started the big monster movie craze because everyone wanted to make one after that. Right. Yeah. It, it was cool. It was definitely a cool movie. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, a little, little bit of background on the actual uh, story credit here that Ray Bradbury has uh, in this. So uh, sci-fi fantasy re- horror writer, Ray Bradbury, um, best notoriously best friends with Ray Harryhausen. And they were like best friends way into their old age and, you can see there's like a documentary about their friendship and stuff. And they're like really cute together because they're both kind of just, they never grew up. They're still those, those young kids that enjoyed monster movies and stuff. So when they got talking, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, but uh, so Ray Harryhausen was making the movie. Ray Bradbury visited him on set and uh, Harryhausen basically gave him a copy of the script and asked if he could do some, you know, Hey, Ray, you want to do some rewriting on this? You know, tighten it up for us a little bit. And after he read the script, he remarked about how one of the sequences in here um, was very reminiscent of a story he wrote that had been uh, published uh, before this. Uh, from what I can, uh, from what I can tell, like it actually, there there was no actual plagiarism. It was just like kind of a coincidence. But um, his story in the Saturday Evening Post. Uh, called the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, um, had a similar sequence where it's it's about two lighthouse keepers, and their uh, lighthouse basically the 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 uh, foghorn on the lighthouse uh, is mistaken for a mating call by this prehistoric monster that comes out of the ocean uh seeking companionship it's actually a much more poignant and kind of like interesting and sad story that it has a lot of depth to it that none of this film has at all um but uh they were like well shit if it's that close then why don't we call the movie the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms we'll credit you on a story credit and it'll give us a little bit more prestige because hey ray bradbury famous writer and so Bradbury's like, okay. And then, and then Bradbury went on to change the name of the, the, uh, of his story to the Foghorn for subsequent, uh, uh printings. But, uh, the, he sold the story rights for $2,000 and, uh, yeah. So everyone made out <laughs> and the, and the, and the Foghorn is a great story and you can find it online and shit. If you want to read it, if you haven't read it, um, and one, anything else here? Um, oh, yeah. I wanted to mention the reference to 20,000 fathoms is sheer uh, hyperbole. A fathom equals six feet. So that means 120,000 feet or 22 and three quarter miles. 
uh, da- uh, deep. So the deepest part of the ocean is uh, the Marianas Trench, and it only goes to 35,000 feet or so. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you would have to go significantly deeper if you were going 20,000 fathoms. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, whatever. Um, no one, no one is paying attention to science or anything in this film. So back then, oh come on now, science had nothing to do with the movies. <laughs> I always love yeah. when they throw scientists in there. Mm-hmm. They're like science. That's not at all science. <laughs> no, <laughs> mind you, all the information is not readily available like it is to us for us today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I need to stop making fun of them for that. Same with like mental health stuff too. Like it wasn't as if the same, my, my first year psychology is like their complete study in university with tons of accolations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I guess we're going to end it off here. Um, Do you have anything you want to plug? You can find me on Instagram at Mighty Tiny All Star. There I will post updates on um, possibly new shows coming up, but definitely when shows are up and ready to be listened to. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, there is a lot of pictures of my dog and my cat. So if you like cat pictures and dog pictures, you can also add me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so you you know you can you can look at her cat Angel on Instagram, and you can picture what that cat was doing as you heard her just rampage around this uh, table and kitchen. Yeah, yeah, as she tried to interrupt the show just for her own benefit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, and so we're gonna have another one of these intermissions. I don't know when these are gonna show up, but they're all gonna show up in December. We're going to be doing another one. Uh, I'm going to be doing it with Paul. I don't know if, if you're going to be around. If you're going to be around, we'll we'll do it uh, all together uh, next Sunday. I could be around. Depends. On... Okay. Oh no! Christmas party at work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> all right. All right. Um. Yeah, but uh, we're going to do uh, what? What is it? Uh, don't eat that. It's something about a killer woman from outer space. I forget the fucking title. It's some sort of... I was interested in that one, too. Mm. That one looks interesting. So I will I will definitely check out the podcast like mm-hmm. the rest of you should. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to have at least one more official episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight uh, this month as well. And then, of course, in like January, we'll have our best of show. This time, I'll promise to record it so it actually exists. You know, um, it exists in my memory. <laughs> I just try to forget it at this point. Um, yeah. One thing. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. Bye.
for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. Thank you.